0: Hi guys, welcome back to Fun on Weekdays podcast. I'm your host Jenna Palak. and in today's episode, I am joined by Kate Snedeker, who is a current student at University of Texas at Austin, and she is the founder of Gray for Glioblastoma, a nonprofit that she founded in 2021 in honor of her dad. Hi guys, so excited to be here! Thank you for having <laughs> me, Jenna. Of course, I'm so honored to have you here today. You have such a beautiful story. You're so inspiring and motivating, Thank especially you. for like younger girls who will be listening to this podcast and myself included. So I can't wait to share your story, how you got started with your nonprofit.
1: Yeah. Thank you. I'm excited to share.
0: All right. Well, let's get right into it. So Kate,
1: tell us all about you. Where are you from? What are you studying in school? So I am from the Washington, D.C. area um, in Bethesda, Maryland, and I grew up there. Um, and when I was starting to apply for colleges, I knew I wanted to be somewhere warm. Um, so Texas was at the top of my list and, um, now I attend school here and I'm a junior and I'm studying youth and community studies and business, which is basically just kind of a social work degree, um, focused on humanities and community and stuff like that with a little
0: business on the side. Okay. So you're from Washington, D.C. You found yourself Mm -hmm. here in Texas.
1: Yeah. How have you
0: transitioned so far being in school?
1: It's been, it's been pretty good. Um, It definitely was a big transition to begin with, especially because my freshman year was COVID year. Um, So it was definitely weird. Um, But now I feel perfectly comfortable here. And I mean, I love it. I The weather is unbeatable. There's so much to do. It's so fun. I mean, same reasons you're still here. (laughs) It's hard to leave. It really is. Where else would we even want to go? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. So you started school when
0: I actually was graduating school. So we both had transitional phases in peak COVID 2020. Mm -hmm. So for me, I was graduating out of college and I was struggling with the fact of COVID of trying to find a job. For you, you're starting college struggling with COVID of not having in-person classes. So how was it transitioning into college when you weren't going to class in person and majority of Austin was shut down.
1: Yeah it was super weird. I mean I still I feel like I'm a sophomore because <laughs> I just feel like that whole year I didn't I wasn't in college. I mean I lived in an off-campus dorm apartment and that was nice because there weren't as many restrictions but still you were meeting people in the hallways. Maybe we weren't even allowed to sit at the dining hall. You had to take everything to go and no in class. Nope. In class class classes, in-person <laughs> classes, and um, there honestly just wasn't really anything going on around campus. We weren't going out, so it was definitely really, really weird. So, and even last year, a little bit, the beginning of the year was still just like a weird transition period still, mm-hmm. um, especially like my sorority too. We we couldn't really go to the house or anything um, just because of all the restric- restrictions, but yeah I'm so much better now and love Austin and yeah yeah that
0: honestly that sucks to think about starting college at that time because I would probably feel like majority of my college experience was kind of gypped almost and like did you still have to pay the full price of tuition and everything yeah that's fucked up Yeah. (laughs) yeah that is so that's insane to me yeah that you're still paying the same price but getting not even close to the same experience no
1: not at all and it was like also, again, the first year of COVID. So like, mm-hmm. it's not like the teachers even really knew how to teach online versus like now I feel like I've taken a few online classes that are just like oh. like hybrid or they're just like fully remote, but it's because like the learning can be done online versus classes that like, I was taking like science classes online, <laughs> like biology and chemistry online. Like, how am I supposed to learn science. Mm -hmm. That's a very experiential class. Yeah. So definitely weird. Yeah. Well, speaking on that too, just probably the
0: quality of education that you were paying for too was probably not up to your expectation as you would expect when you go into college and you think that you're gonna be in a class with all these people and then it's online and like you said teachers were still trying to figure out how to even teach Mm -hmm. so I can imagine how that probably set the tone for your like your college experience but it sounds like you still were able to get your feet on the ground keep yourself motivated and find ways to connect with your community make new friends and find like a home here in Austin especially going to a school out of
1: state yeah yeah definitely took a little time but we finally made it.
0: <laughs> that's good. So you're a junior right now. You're wrapping up your junior year and you're about to be a senior in like crazy. three months. So crazy. Is that so weird? Do you know what you're going to do
1: after college? Um, I definitely want to stay in the, um, I guess, like not necessarily nonprofit space, but I want to stay in like the community relations space, whether okay. that's for a nonprofit or an individual or a company Um, I really like the hands-on person-to-person and just being in charge of, like, relations and stuff like that um, and coming up with, like, the ideas on how to engage people and get donors involved and whatnot. Um, I definitely still want to be involved with my nonprofit, of course, and do stuff for Grey for glioblastoma, but um, I'm hoping to take a... um, I'm hoping to get to a point where I don't have to do all of the unfun stuff so that I can, you know, do the stuff that I enjoy doing and I don't burn out.
0: Yeah. Doing the unfun stuff is necessary, especially when you're starting any type of project, whether it's starting a nonprofit, starting a business, starting a new hobby. Like a lot of times you take that on on your own. And once you get to a certain point, when you realize you need help and you can bring other people in, you have the resources to be able to do that, mm-hmm. then you can kind of offload some of those things that maybe it's just unfun for you because it's not what you are super great at. Yeah. That's what I've recognized in myself is, all right, there's some things that I'm not that good at. <laughs> and that's why I hire people to bring yeah. them on. And I am so positive that Gray for glioblastoma will definitely be able to do that. that point. And yeah, as you continue to grow and share your message of your nonprofit and people learn more and more about it. You connect with more people. So I want to switch gears and talk all about gray for glioblastoma. Perfect. So first of all, let's talk about what is glioblastoma.
1: So glioblastoma is a malignant brain tumor, um, which basically just means that it's an, it's a cancerous, um, tumor. So, um, some cancerous tumors have cures. Some of them don't, um, And glioblastoma, unfortunately, does not have a cure um, or any treatments that extends life beyond um, the average prognosis, which is 14 to 16 months after diagnosis, which is kind of remarkable considering the generation we live in. I mean, it's 2023 and we have AI now and (laughs) and chat GBT and um, self-driving cars, kind of, and for some reason, like we still have this cancer type that um, the life expectancy has remained the same for the past 30 years. And um, there really is just no, the reason for that is there's no, there's a very minimal amount of awareness and spending that goes towards it. So it's not funded adequately um, in a way that matches how deadly the cancer is Mm -hmm. and so we lose so many people from this cancer type it's just so devastating and do you know
0: off the top of your head what the statistic is of about how many people are affected by glioblastoma
1: so every year approximately 88,000 wow people will be diagnosed so that's 88,000 diagnosed this year so there are still people alive that were diagnosed last year and right whatnot so it's it's it, I wouldn't say that it's as rare as people think it is mm-hmm. because um, that's people say oh it, not a lot of resources go towards it because it's rare but there are a lot of other rare cancers that are funded and um, it's not that rare. Yeah so speaking of funding going towards researching. So let's talk about that for a minute because what you do for your nonprofit is raising money to put towards funding. Yes. So our mission outlined is to raise awareness and funds through um like community events and stuff like that. Um because my background is in event planning. Um I worked for a couple wedding planners and Okay, queen, you need and- an internship. <laughs> Let me know, girl. Um and a couple of um, just like global, um, event agencies and stuff. And so I've always really loved event planning. And so when I basically decided that I wanted to do something about glioblastoma, I decided that the best way for me to go about it would be, you know, to do something that matches my interests. And so that was, um, events. And so our other part of our mission is to create a positive and hopeful community space, um, mostly on social media, because that's really, really lacking. When you search glioblastoma, there's nothing really out there. And this speaking from my personal experience, um, going to Google and searching it and then Instagram and whatnot, there's nothing really out there, um, which just creates more isolation. Um, And so it's been pretty successful in the past. We just came about our one year anniversary of being approved as a 501c3. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, so it's been really awesome to look back and see everything that we've done in the past year. And um, one of those things was making our first grant donation, um, which we made to Dana-Farber Cancer Institute in the name of a researcher that is really just a trailblazer in glioblastoma research. And so we're confident that he's going to put the money towards something important. And Mm -hmm. yeah, so- So what you do is you host these community
0: events, Mm -hmm. these nonprofit events to raise money and the money that you raise, you just donate to this researcher for him to put, him or her? Him. Him to put towards finding potential cures for glioblastoma. Yes. So do you know about how much money they would need in order to perform all of the research necessary?
1: That's a really good question. So when I actually um, talked with a researcher, his name's Dr. Reardon. When I talked to him about our donation, he told us that in order to get grants from the government or get funded by pharmaceutical companies and actually put the research, the the baseline research and ideas into work, into a clinical trial, into lab research, there needs to be evidence that this this works that we, we conducted, um, a lab, we conducted some research in the lab on mice or whatnot. And, gotcha. so they, it, and need it t- they, they need a small test group. Yes. They need okay. a test group and they need to show up with that evidence. And if they don't, they're less likely to be funded. So gotcha. nonprofits really fund those initial projects because they need to be funded. They need to be able to get the materials that they need and everything like that that they do in a lab setting. I'm not scientist by any means. (laughs) And so I don't know what that exactly is, but they need um money to do those things before they can even approach the bigger grants. And so if there's not money being raised um that goes towards researchers in order to conduct the research, we'll never reach bigger point. And so it takes about $15,000 to fund a small experiment. Mm -hmm. So that is where our first donation went. Um, we plan to continue donating to cancer care facilities and researchers and such, um, dependent on, um, we, we try to make quarterly donations. So we are still figuring out where our next quarterly donation will be but we definitely do want to be able to fund projects that we think will get us closer to a cure.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, Queen, I'm so impressed (laughs) by you. You're like basically explaining to all of us listening how funding a nonprofit actually works from the backside. Because I mean, so often we see, oh, can you donate here? Can you come to this event? And how frequently do we actually know what that money is being put towards? Mm -hmm. Not as frequently as I think a lot of us would hope. So knowing this from you is super helpful. And I'm also just so impressed. So did you learn about this by literally just Googling it? Like, how did you learn how to even do this?
1: (laughs) Um, So it actually, after my dad was diagnosed and I figured out that there was just this lack of awareness, which results in a lack of funding and um, research and all of that, um, I knew that I wanted to do something. I I have a very action-based personality. Um, Love that about you, though. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) And so one of the things that, like, I knew that I wanted to do was find a way to raise more awareness. And so I kind of, at the very beginning, I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew I wanted to do something. And so... I ended up deciding that I wanted to host an event. And so it started off of me just wanting to plan this event, a gala-style event in D.C., and inviting friends, family, and just spreading the word through social media and whatnot. And as I was planning it, I had family and friends and family friends come to me and just say, hey, we think that you should make this a yearly event. We think that you can make this bigger than you can imagine, we think that you should apply to be a nonprofit. And at that point, I'm like, what What do you mean? <laughs> You're like, I'm, I'm literally just a college old. student. Like, <laughs> like, they're like talking to me about a board of executives. And I'm like, who do I even ask to be on a board? And all of these things, I'm like, what, what do you mean I need to file with the IRS? What does that even mean? <laughs> oh girl, don't like, get me started on the IRS. I need to apply. <laughs> and so I basically... Thought about it for a while, and I'm really happy that I made the decision to go forward with it, but I had a ton of help from all different sorts of people that supported me, supported my dad, supported the mission, and from there, I just, I mean, I'm still learning, like, every single day, and I still look for so many different opportunities to get involved with other nonprofits and volunteer so I can see how they structure events or they structure their donor relations and whatnot. And I'm currently taking a business law course on nonprofit law so that I can also stay just up to date and, you know, head the organization. Yeah. Educated, educated founder. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) guys, if you didn't already
0: know this, Mother's Day is May 14th. Okay, do not forget. Don't miss an opportunity to show your mom some appreciation for just how wonderful she is. I know it can be really hard to find a Mother's Day gift that is just as great as our mom's, whether they are creative, they love interior design, they are into fashion. Maybe your mom is the entertainer of the family. She loves to host parties. She's really into fitness. Whatever your mom's passions, Macy's has the perfect gift to give her this Mother's Day. So I've alleviated the stress for you. You don't have to worry about what to get your mom this Mother's Day because I've created an entire gift guide for you. It's at Macy's.com forward slash F-O-W. Again, May 14th. So check your calendars right now. Go order your mom a gift or just make some special plans to have time with her. Well, you have a few things that you just mentioned. That I love. The first thing being that you knew you wanted to do something, but you weren't sure what, so you started with what you love, which was doing yeah. an event. Mm-hmm. And I think that is such a great message to share. I agree. Is that a lot of times people know they want to do something, have no idea what, yeah. where to start. And I think the best advice is literally just do something. Yeah. And if it sticks, 100%. then you can grow from there and you can exactly. keep adding on. Mm-hmm. And the way that you add on is what you said, is surrounding yourself with people who have the same passions, mm-hmm. the same missions, values, same want to support you. Exactly. And surrounding yourself with those people is key to being able yes. to grow and keep it sustainable And the third thing I wanted to mention, which probably should have introduced with this, but the reason why you started for Glioblastoma was because your dad was diagnosed. Mm -hmm. And so that's how you were introduced to this disease. And that's how you started your passion project for the nonprofit. So let's switch gears into finding out that your dad was diagnosed. When did this happen and how did you find out?
1: So I found out in May of 2021, he was diagnosed At the end of April, I found out beginning of May, I believe, because I found out a little bit later. Um, I have a younger sister named Caroline, and she's three years younger. And basically, when my dad was diagnosed, um, him and my stepmom decided that the best thing to do would be to figure out a plan before they told us, because knowing that glioblastoma is, I mean, as soon as you look it up, you figure out that people don't live long mm-hmm. after they're diagnosed and that it's a really, really tough cancer type and it's just heartbreaking. And so they knew that they didn't want us to feel that initial pain that they felt. I had known that there was something going on. My sister and I both did because my dad thought that he had a stroke because he had some stroke-like symptoms one night and so they took him to the hospital and they put him on stroke medicine and when he was doing a little better they released him and said there's some swelling in your brain which is likely from the stroke and that will go down but if it doesn't go down it'll be something else so we want to check in on you in six weeks okay that's a long time. That's too. a very long time for six, a fast
0: growing tumor. Yeah. Six weeks in the grand scheme of yes. how long this actually two takes months, over. Yeah,
1: That's crazy. Very crazy. And, and that prognosis of 14 to 16 months is, you know, with some sort of preventative treatment, treatment such as chemo or radiation or whatnot. And so it really, I mean, two months of not knowing that you have a brain tumor can be Really, really devastating. About a week and a half or two weeks later, he started having symptoms again. His like eye was twitching and he was like, this is weird, this isn't supposed to be happening. So he listened to his like gut and they went back to the hospital and that's when they found out, oh, you actually have a brain tumor. Once they figured this out, um, they started tapping into their resources. So my stepmom works in the biomedical field. Oh, okay. And so she's pretty well connected She worked her connections, who then worked their connections, um, to reach out to some surgeons to figure out what we're going to do about this tumor. And so they ended up meeting with a few different surgeons. They told us, and it was obviously very, very heartbreaking for my sister and I. And I did still have to look it up and see the awful things you see when you look up glioblastoma And
0: yeah, and that's what you said that there was just a lack of community support. Yes. Yes. Everything that you saw was negative. Yeah. And it wasn't like all negative. Here's what it is. Here's how we can help support you and your family as you are learning more about this and ways to be involved with other people who are Mm -hmm. also their families are.
1: Yeah, which is a big part of our mission too is putting all of that in one place and hopefully at some point getting it to be the first thing that you see when you look up glioblastoma. You Mm -hmm. click on it, it says, oh, this is what glioblastoma is. Now here are some resources for you. And so- girl, that SEO, someone out here, someone listening to this,
0: (laughs) we'd love to have you on board. Seriously. Um. I I know too. I know someone listening. It's so funny. I did a podcast episode and I said, someone listening to this, it probably works at Buckle. And a girl actually did work at Buckle and she made a video about it. Hilarious. So someone listening right now. Reach out. Yes. I know there's a girl <laughs> who knows all about SEO. So let's get it up there. Gray for yeah. glioblastoma should be the first thing that pops up.
1: Exactly. <laughs> um, instead of, people also searched, is glioblastoma always fatal? It, can you live longer than a year with glioblastoma? Why is glioblastoma not have a cure? And, you know, me as a 20 year old looking these things up, so difficult. And so, and then flash forward to a few months later, I was trying to figure out, I'm a big therapy proponent, but I was like, therapy right now, not really helping. There's no fix for this. I don't really want to come to a therapy session one-on-one and talk about how we can make me feel better because- there's honestly not much besides, right. you know, the daily stuff that you can do.
0: And you mentioned too, that you're a very actionable person. Yeah. So just speaking isn't really fulfilling that need to just act. Yeah. Yeah. So gray for glioblastoma was your way of, yes. okay, let's, let's do something about it then. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes. hundred percent. Um, and it still is very, very therapeutic. And it took me a very long time to find a place, an outlet for this type of grief and pain and it was so hard to find a resource and so I found finally found something and so that's something that's on our website too okay um I was going to ask for anyone who is listening that is
0: also struggling with an anticipatory Mm -hmm. grief is that something that you're willing to share with listeners
1: A 100% it's on our website under resources we have a few different we have a ton of resources I mean we have support groups that you can join financial support Um, And then some more like glioblastoma type stuff like we have in ABCs of GBM, which basically just gives definitions of words and phrases that, you know, you you look up and you're you're not as well connected as my stepmom was. And Mm -hmm. you have no idea what it means to even join a clinical trial. You have no idea how to find a clinical trial. You have no idea how to find a surgeon. And so there's a ton of stuff on there just for, you know, bridging that gap of, I don't know how to go about this. I don't know where to go. I don't know who to talk to. My parents decided to tell me um, and my sister, they basically said, we have these three options and we'd love for you guys to be involved in the conversations if you want to be. Within just a week or two, we found a surgeon that we wanted to go with who actually was going to put my dad in a clinical trial too. Do you think
0: that, and this may be an invasive question, but do you think that your stepmom having resources and kind of like an in to the industry and connections already allowed
1: your dad more of an opportunity to 100%, tackle 10%? Okay. 100%, which is also like why our resources page is so important because- there are so many people that, I mean, live in the middle of nowhere where they don't even have a hospital within two hours away. We were super blessed and my dad was able to live for almost two years. He passed away just last month Cute. and yeah. Oh
0: my God, I'm so sorry. Thank you. Oh my gosh. My yeah. <laughs> oh.
1: Yeah. Aww. It's, it's been rough, but hanging in there Aww. and still using gray for glioblastoma as you know, therapeutic and support system. And I really have, now that we've grown so much bigger, I really do feel like I have such a big community of support where I can share my grief and and get support. So he was able to last almost two years with more opportunities. Still, that's not a very long time. And so you think about people that don't have that access, Mm -hmm. how long can they last, you know? And so, yes, I think that he, having those opportunities, having those connections to the medical world that we did, were really impactful in his, um, in his ability to stay strong and try to beat the cancer the best that he could. Um, just a week later, he, we went up to Boston. I went with, my aunt went with, and my stepmom, and, um, he had his awake craniology surgery. So, He basically it's this is the brain surgery to remove the tumor and they wake you up during it. Stop. After they open up your head (gasps) and they wake you up and you have to talk with an entire team of people that are asking you questions like name the months of the year, wiggle your toes, what's your last name, what's. Wait, can you not feel that? So you're numbed. And- This is wild to me. I know. My dad did it twice. And Ugh. I'm like, how, how'd how you do that? And it's crazy. He's like, incredible.
0: I have like my hand to my mouth right I now, know. just covering my mouth. Cause I'm like, oh, this sounds so crazy. And- And when, and when was this? This was, this was in Boston. Was in, this was in
1: Boston in May. Okay. Oh, so, of last year. Yes. Okay. Of two years ago. Oh, okay. Yeah. May, 2021. Gotcha. And so he- was awake, had to be answering these questions and being talking to this, this team. Because once you start taking out parts of the tumor, sorry, that it starts affecting different parts of your functions. Mm. And so they don't want to take out too much where it's impacting your quality of life. And so he had one of those. And then almost a year later in March of 2022, um, he had to have another surgery okay well first of all like you are so strong for even sitting here (laughs) and like
0: talking about something that is so life-changing that happened so recently so like I'm I'm so grateful to have you. you here and so honored that you want to share something so personal with like thousands of people to listen to and be touched by your story and relate to you While you're also grieving, like that is
1: a lot for you to take on. It is, it is. But I've also been grieving for two years. Yeah. So
0: let's talk about that for a second. So you mentioned this before that, like anticipatory grief, like when you found out about your dad being diagnosed with glioblastoma, and you were 20 years old, and you're in college, and you're trying to be a normal teenager, and you're in a sorority, you're (laughs) trying to go to your classes, and hang out with friends and do things. But in the back of your mind, like was that ever restricting for you from actually being able to enjoy life when you have these like, you know, thoughts of like how, you know what I mean? I don't know the correct word I'm looking for. but Yeah,
1: I mean, anticipatory grief is definitely very different. I've experienced grief um, pretty close. I had a friend commit suicide when I was in high school. And so that was- you know, post grief, um, which is what grief usually is. Um, and so this grief is very, very different because the person's still there and you're slowly, you're slowly starting to lose the person that you knew to begin with. Because I would say my dad was never the same after his first surgery at the end. Wasn't necessarily the dad that I knew two years ago, but was still my dad. Um, and so you're, you're grieving that the things that you've already lost in the person but you're also grieving the future of your life without the person you really are going through all the emotions of grief all the different stages of grief before you're before you lose someone did you feel that you ever felt any type of
0: I don't know if resentment is the right type of word but when you say that you felt like you're you know, what's going on in your life is a lot bigger than the typical yeah. problems of like, oh, he didn't text me back or like we're fighting yeah. or there's yeah. friend cattiness. Yeah. Did you ever feel resentment towards your friends almost for not feeling the pain that you
1: felt? 100%. Um, last year in the fall semester when I was at school and even that summer when I was home, I did not enjoy going out. I did not enjoy like being in group settings. I didn't enjoy drinking. I didn't enjoy partying because it just felt like I felt like not that there's like more important things in the world, but I felt that like I didn't want to be surrounded by people like making small talk or um with people that like didn't have a you know like didn't have a care in the world like just having a fun night out um and so it was really really hard for me to be in a situation like that because I had so much going on in my life that there wasn't there were cares in the world and there were bigger things and so for a really really long time I tried really hard to put myself out there and go out and do things and I would come home and I would be more upset than I was originally. Mm. And so I kind of just realized and focused on me and my mental health and said, you know what, at the end of the day, like, I'm not going to have FOMO if I would be upset there anyway. And I got really into puzzling. And so when people would be out on a Saturday (laughs) night, I would start the puzzle after dinner. They'd all go out and I'd be 1am and I'd still be sitting at the puzzle table. I wasn't having the experiences that a normal 20 year old would have. And I wasn't having the, making the connections and friendships that I should have been making, which was very, very hard too. And it took a while to start being comfortable again. I think over winter break of last year, I started going out with my friends from home more when they, because at that point they knew. And I think felt more comfortable with going out with them because I knew that if we were at the local bar, we were at like a house party or we were all just out to dinner, I could ask any of them. I could tell any of them, like, I'm struggling. Like, I think I'm going to go home and they would come home. I I didn't have to worry about
0: it. Right. And I think too, maybe instead of judge, it's like, being nervous that they are going to feel inconvenienced. Yes. That, yes. like, they have to stop doing what they're doing yes. to care for their friends. Exactly. It's and like have little, to, like,
1: resent it. Like, yeah, like just, I don't really want to go home right now, but, like, gotcha, I have to, you know?
0: Well, this and idea of FOMO is really interesting because yeah. I
1: think, I've
0: talked about this a lot before, but it just sounds like with so many factors of things that change in your life, your idea of fun changed. And yes, you didn't 100%. enjoy doing the things that majority of the people around you did enjoy doing. So it wasn't the FOMO that you're missing out on being at the bars. I think it's more the FOMO of missing being around people in general. Yeah. And what you said about how a lot of the people you were surrounded by, it was just like a lot of surface level conversations mm-hmm. anyways. Once yeah. you start to realize that, like sometimes being alone is better company than being around people that- are really only surface level. Yeah, 100%. So FOMO, I think a lot of people struggle with, especially in college, because I mean, you look at people who are doing things that you think that's the norm, that you're supposed to be doing that. Mm -hmm. When you don't enjoy it, you're like, oh, I feel a little left out. I feel isolated. And for you especially, like feeling isolated in the fact that you're going through something that not many people your age have to, Mm -hmm. I'm sure was very difficult. So how would you say that your friends are able to kind of support you? Because you did mention that you don't want to talk about it. So knowing that, did you want your friends to support you and ask questions about it or kind of not ignore it, but
1: let you keep things private? I think it like kind of depended at what stage I was in. Um, At the beginning, I definitely did not want to talk about it. But then as I started to start the organization and grow the organization, that's when I kind of was like, if I'm going to create this space for people and this community feel, I need to be willing to be vulnerable, mm. to be honest, to share, so that other people feel like they can share. And that's a hard thing to do sometimes. Yeah, one hundred percent. Especially like, you know, like you, I don't, I never wanted to feel like I was like asking for people to say I'm sorry or, um like begging for people to be there and support me because I wasn't, I just was trying to create a space that allowed people to feel comfortable in sharing and allowed people to feel like they're not alone and sharing my experiences, sharing just a few weeks ago, sharing how I, or even like on a weekly basis, sharing how I'm feeling, how the grief is affecting me um, helps people feel less alone and less isolated and feel like they they aren't the only one that feels like that and that grieving in this way is okay and grieving in this way is okay and so I realized that I needed to be able to be that person for people so that's when I started kind of allowing myself to talk about it more um and allowing my friends to come over and spend time with me and my dad basically just especially with the people really important in my life or really have a big role in my life um they started asking how they can support and whatnot and I basically just said like listen like anticipatory grief like and this actual grief that I'm experiencing changes so frequently that I have no idea what I'm gonna need tomorrow Mm -hmm. I have no idea what I'm gonna need in the next hour and a half but if you want to know I'll let you know and so with some people I started just letting them know hey I really need you to come over right now or hey I really don't want to talk about it and like just letting people know like my love languages too which like that was super important because like people think about love languages as just like a relationship type thing but it's or like a romantic relationship yeah, type thing but it's, it's a friendship it's, thing too yeah 100 I mean like I even think about like my parents and my sister like what their love languages are um and how like I can be there for them and make them feel loved and mm-hmm. um and so that's super important and I started just sharing those things and one of my love languages is words of affirmation so everyone kind of always knew everyone close to me kind of always knew like just getting that text of like Hope you're doing okay today, or just wanted to let you know I'm always here, or just wanted to say I love you was always really, really impactful and and means a lot more than silence because I think the other thing is there's so much stigma around like I don't wanna say the wrong thing. I don't wanna make you uncomfortable, I don't want to make you laugh when you wanna cry and yeah and stuff like that. Kind of stepping on Yeah. What's the word? Um like walking around like broken egg yeah, walking, so, eggshells?
0: Yeah, walking walking on eggshells. Yeah, there you go. Yeah.
1: Stepping on eggshells.
0: Yeah, what Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> um speaking of like the stigma around not knowing the exact right thing to say, is there anything that you really don't want to hear anyone say? Like a pet peeve that you have that it's like I wish you just didn't say anything at all.
1: Definitely the like everything happens for a reason. Oh, that's saying. Yeah, that's like because like sure at the end of the day like people say I'm sure that about- there's there's a there's like a there is like in life like maybe like a purpose for everything and like now that my dad was diagnosed like I have found my calling and my right space and, and- but that doesn't mean that there's necessarily a reason for it and I don't really want to think about. Mm-hmm. what the reason is for my dad being diagnosed with this cancer type and so that's also something you say when it's like you didn't get the sorority house you wanted it's like oh everything happens for a reason yeah, like it's yeah, fine yeah like yeah okay exactly. well that's completely different things. exactly the for other sure. thing that's been really really helpful is that like a lot of the time I don't I don't have the energy to actually like respond yeah and people still if I haven't responded to them that week, they still text me the following week and say, hope you're doing well. Or someone will say, no pressure to respond. You don't need to respond. I know that you're, this is the last of your concerns, but I want you to know. I want you to know I'm thinking of you. I, I think it's really impactful when people recognize that like I'm not, not responding because I don't appreciate it or it doesn't mean something or it's not impacting me in a really positive way because every single word or expression that people reach out with it it means more than anybody could ever imagine I get that and I'm
0: sure all of your friends and anyone who's reached out to you also understands that Um, although they may not understand how you're feeling and what you're Mm -hmm. going through I'm sure they can at least understand that yeah so you mentioned that you've been getting a little bit more vulnerable and sharing how you're feeling and how you are acclimating uh, Mm -hmm. with your community and with the nonprofit. so how are you doing? How are how are things for you right now? I'm
1: okay. Um, I'm kind of at this weird space where I don't really feel like home is home anywhere. I'm going back to DC, but I'm getting home a lot earlier than a lot of my friends. And my dad's no longer there. And my mom's in Mississippi. And all my stuff is here. And so yeah. it's just this really weird in between of like, where's home Mm -hmm. because my mom is home where my stuff is is home where I grew up is home where my friends are is home but those are all in different places that's a really great way to put that yeah and so that's something I've been like really struggling with lately I think and then I mean obviously like the grief of like my dad and like I've had a lot of moments where I'm like, oh, I just want to call him right now. And and I think it's also kind of been hard with people reaching out in support of like me losing my dad and just saying like he's so proud of you, which like is so impactful to me. But thinking about like. My dad being proud of me and not being here anymore to continue to see all the things that I'm going to do with my life is something that's been really hard to think about. I mean, I think about all the time, like, my wedding and my graduation and my sister's graduation, you know, like, all those big milestones. I mean, his birthday's next week and Father's Day's in a couple of weeks and stuff like that. And so, um, just, like, things like that, like, the daily difficulties. But... And then of course, like running a nonprofit and going to school full time yeah. and trying to catch up on everything. Oh my God. Um, but I've been trying to take it a day at a time, surrounding myself too, with people that make me feel better and make me feel comforted and loved and oh. everything like that.
0: Well, I hope I'm that person for you <laughs> to some extent. Yes, a
1: hundred percent.
0: Well, I, there's also like two things. The first one being, I think anyone listening to this podcast, myself included, can sit here and just reflect on how freaking like lucky and grateful we are. If you do have like a father figure in your life that is still present, like Mm -hmm. it's so easy to take them for granted Mm -hmm. until you hear a story like yours and you're sitting here really like, Oh my God, not everyone has this, you know? And so when you're talking about, you know, your wedding or graduation or these milestones in your life, like it's just a reminder to be so appreciative for the people that are here. You really don't know how long,
1: I think think especially for me that was a big part of the anticipatory grief of like my dad used to be the person that was the multitasker that was doing everything for me before I even thought about it Mm -hmm. who was making me breakfast in the morning and it was ready by the time I was sitting at the table and before school and yeah and just being like he was that father father that did everything he could to take care of my sister and I and so having to transition and do Those types of things for him mm-hmm. when he was the one doing those things for us was really, really hard. Um, and I'm sure that anyone like dealing with a terminal illness of a family member or um, losing a family member, watching them be sick, can relate to that in the sense that you kind of switch positions, yeah, but be, you, you become roles. the caregiver, yeah, caretaker, yeah, and that's that's really a weird and different situation it's very selfless you have to give a lot of yourself your time your energy
0: to someone else when you've never had to do that before Mm. you've always been the one receiving it so
1: Yeah. yeah it really puts life into perspective just how grateful and fortunate there's so much love in the world and there's so many good things and people care so much and I'm so lucky to have other people that care about me and um and a huge family of people that will step in as my father figure when I need them to. Yeah. Um my uncle just flew down for my sister's prom because there was oh. a father daughter dance. Oh my gosh, I'm going to cry. <laughs> I know. And danced with her. Oh, that is um, so sweet. Is that your dad's brother? Yeah. Oh my gosh. That lives here and so she was just oh my gosh, like so happy that he was there mm. and like I remember her saying like she, I think she said to him like you're going to be doing this at my wedding too and like it's it's I have so many people in my life who love and care about me and I'm so blessed to have that but it really does like I think back to the little things like did you land safely text you know from my dad and stuff like that and just like I go back and I like think about it I'm and I'm like wow I appreciate that so much more now that I don't have it Mm -hmm. so the second thing that you also mentioned
0: briefly was that you've been listening to yourself and like you take it day by day and every single day looks different which means some days you may be in the mood to like do something fun and uplifting. And other days you may want to just like lay in bed and be alone and not talk to anyone. So I think that's a really important message message as well that resonates with fun on weekdays in general is that it's consistently changing. What would you say fun on weekdays means to you as you are kind of transitioning in this like, you know, stage of your life and struggling with things?
1: Yeah, I think, Something that really resonates with me, too, that you've talked about is like your definition of fun changes and it changes in the different periods of your life. It changes based on what's going on in your life, too. Um, And so I would say fun definitely looks a little different for me right now. But I've been having so much fun going to dinner with friends and before they all go out and then I'll go home Mm -hmm. and take care of myself and do Whatever it is that I feel like doing, watching a movie or calling a friend or whatever. Again, like listening to myself and taking everything one step at a time. And just, it's still, it's still so important to be able to be involved in a social aspect. It's super good for like my mental health. And so just kind of reconstructing what fun looks like for me right now
0: Mm -hmm. without the guilt or without the FOMO or without any of the
1: pressure. Yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 That's a really great way to put it. And I think that's a fantastic message to kind of leave that conversation on. Uh And again, I'm just so, I'm so appreciative that you're willing to share all of this with us. Um, So I want to end things on like a more uplifting note and talk about what you are doing currently with gray for glioblastoma. So a lot of you listening may have seen a video of someone under the name of Alex Earl, (laughs) send Kate this giant freaking box of PR. And so when you're planning these events for gray for glioblastoma, you said one of the things you do is accept PR from like influencers that's unused and you sell it at events in like auctions or raffle baskets and stuff. And you use some of that income. Well, not some of it. You use that income or revenue, whatever the word is, Mm -hmm. and you donate that towards these tests. So- I want to know how have influencers impacted your reach with gray for glioblastoma and helping spreading your message?
1: Yeah. I mean, I would say like one of the most incredible things that, um, involving influencers in our influencer program has done is reaching so many people affected by glioblastoma that had no idea that Gray for glioblastoma existed, that felt the same way that I had felt Mm -hmm. that, didn't have access to resources that felt isolated. Like I just had an influx of DMs and emails that would say, I had no idea like this space existed. You've given me so much hope. You've given me so much inspiration. Like, and it just, that's like been our mission all along to create that space.
0: Really quickly. So when you get an influx of these messages Mm -hmm. and you see like very similar repetitive messages and emails, Throughout the day, does it ever kind of dull the feeling of that? Do you know what I mean? Does it kind of numb you to the fact that you really are touching so many
1: people? Honestly, no. Because it makes me so happy. And I want to be that outlet for as many people as I can. Wednesdays are like our big day of the week. We do on Wednesdays, we wear gray, which it's Wednesday and we're both wearing gray. I knew that girl. Okay, Jenna. <laughs> I knew it. Jenna wears gray on Wednesdays. You should too. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> um, I'm starting a trend. And so we've been posting about a lot on our social media and p- having people send a photo or an explanation of why they wear gray. And it's been so, so, so impactful, empowering to see, like, I wear gray for my brother. I wear gray for my dad, my mom, my stepmom, my uncle, my grandma. I mean, every Wednesday, I'm like, wow, like, well, that's a really great feeling. And
0: also, too, I think as long as you keep that, yeah. like, feeling, yeah, this is only going to continue to grow. Yeah. And it will only, like, further your impact for other people yeah. and the meaning behind Great for glioblastoma yeah, and I
1: think another really important thing about that is like people know me now because I put myself out there yeah. they know that like you're an influencer <laughs> <laughs> you <are>. um, <laughs> um they know that like they can reach out and know that like I'll be the one responding um especially now we've also created this like because we had so many people that we were able to reach from all the help from the influencers and stuff mm-hmm. we started a like chat space on the app Geneva love and so basically we have a great for glioblastoma home now and we have a That's bunch so of nice. rooms that are broken up between like area supporters which is like you can find people from your city and you can meet them for coffee oh, or so sweet you can um like talk about doing a fundraising event together because a lot of other people finds like a lot of therapy in action okay. and then there's a group by like how you're affected by glioblastoma. So it's like caregiver discussion, child of patient discussing, having this this space for people to chat has been really, really empowering too because then it's not just people coming to me. It's It's all these people in a chat mm-hmm. communicating amongst each other. And like I'm involved in that chat too. So that's been the most empowering thing about the whole influencer thing. But on top of that, I mean, now that Alex kind of launched our whole program, <laughs> Um, which was so incredible and she's just amazing she's really what everyone says she is like the nicest most um, like real person how did did that happen by the way did you just message her and I have like a mutual connection with her gotcha and so I had asked him to like relay information and then it ended up I ended up just relaying it to her through her like phone number she was like super super down to like do anything I needed still is I mean I saw her when I was in Florida um she invited me to her like big like amino launch party I did how was it it was good and I got to meet some other influencers that are like part of our program already oh that's so awesome Um, yeah I got to meet like five of them and so it was a lot of fun and who else is involved um I met Courtney Cahoon okay um uh, Brooke Melnay Brooklyn Um, I met Shannon, St. Clair, Sandra, and Alex. And so there's a ton of other people involved. Um, Ellie Thuman is super, super involved cause she actually has a connection to glioblastoma. Oh, okay. A bunch of the New York influencers, Eli Rallo, um, love Eli, Audrey Peters. Um, and so it's just been really, really incredible that since she's like basically launched our program that, other influencers have gotten involved and I mean we've kind of become like kind of a household name now I mean people talk about like oh that's the charity that Alex donates to or Mm -hmm. like I'll introduce myself to someone and I'll say great for glioblastoma and they'll know what it is which is Mm -hmm. like crazy because before glioblastoma was part of my life I'd never heard of it and so the fact that it's kind of becoming this household name is also super important for awareness it's just gonna help us lower our costs and increase our profits by having, um, people donate the stuff that we normally would have to buy or, um, just donating like really nice items that we can't normally get like brands to donate. Yeah. And then people raffle, I mean, auction on it and then we can raise money from that. Is it insane? I feel like this would piss me off.
0: Like, is it frustrating to reach out to brands and they say like, oh, I'm sorry, like we can't donate right now. And then you see an yeah. influencer get a box and it's like every single shade of every yeah. single size. That's
1: like, that's what started the influencer program because I got stuck on PR hall TikTok. Cause you're like, oh my God, you can't give me this, but you can give them 10. And you can send them to <laughs> across the country yeah. and pay for their hotel and their flights and whatnot. Um, and so that's what started to like, Like, of course, I loved like being on PR Hall TikTok. It was so interesting and like so fun to watch. But then at one point I started getting like frustrated and I was like, I reached out to that brand and they told me no. And so that's basically where the influencer program got started from because I was like, you know what? Like, there's no way these influencers use all these things. I'll just reach out to them. It's
0: absurd. Like the PR industry in itself I feel like it existed before TikTok oh yeah it was like all over YouTube you know you Uh can see it in like OG Instagram bloggers Mm -hmm. it existed yeah but I feel like TikTok opened this new outlet for normal everyday people to like start accumulating a following and at first it's like oh this small business wants to send you a sweatshirt and then it's like oh, this like really big company wants to send you their entire collection of their entire makeup Inside of a mini fridge. Yes, (laughs) Yes. it's so fucking absurd. I literally have a locker in my closet right now because, and this is the craziest thing to me is that like PR has become almost the cheapest way for brands to try and get content from creators without actually just paying them. So in their mind, they're like, oh, we can put as much stuff in here. We can make it as big, as elaborate as Maybe possible. She'll like something. And they assume that like the likelihood that they'll post it is higher. Yeah. Personally for me, I don't want to post it because I'm like, this is so unnecessary. Yeah. My followers are not going to like this. They're just going to think it's excessive and it's wasteful. And you get to a point where you're like, it is. Yeah. And at first yeah. it's so exciting because you're getting it. Yes. And I'm so grateful for it. Yeah. But like I had the exact same feeling about it. Yeah. Where I'm like, this is just not necessary. I, I agreed to get like your new Seltzer. Why is it showing up in a in a legit yeah. full-size locker yeah. with a ski coat that's personalized to me that I am never going to wear yeah. with your look.
1: You know, it's just like yeah, it's I too much. I do get sent my fair share of like personalized items that yeah, are not my name and I'm like I don't know there's to not do with this, much to do with it. But um
0: it is a great opportunity though. Like yeah. I recognize there's just there's way too much. Yeah. And so I started collecting that. And last year I did my first nonprofit event where I was like, okay, let me just sell all of this mm-hmm. stuff and all of the clothes that I get that don't fit or the products that are just like not my color or I don't need it or there's too many. And then I donate that money to a nonprofit. Yeah. yeah. And so that's like literally exactly what y'all do for the baskets and stuff. Mm-hmm. And now that you have all of these influencers being a part of it, have there been any influencers you've reached out to that they've like ignored you or said no or anything that have made you kind of look at them a little differently. Yeah,
1: like I'll give them a benefit of the doubt and maybe they do like donate it somewhere like locally or um they missed my email and just don't see everybody's comments, but like it does like kind of rub me the wrong way. Like it just makes me like not necessarily like want to like like their support them as a creator. Yeah, no, because I get like that. you could just at least like respond and say like, hey, like I. I donate elsewhere. It's a little off putting. I understand yeah. that. On that note,
0: do you think that if creators have this giant platform or they have followers of some sort, they have influence, do you think that it's their obligation to share nonprofits and amplify the voice of like charitable efforts? So
1: I really like that question because mm-hmm. I wouldn't say it's like necessarily like, you know, in their job description to support nonprofits or like do good with their platform. But I think that one, it's really admirable when influencers do something good. I think that like all creators should be that. So I I definitely think it's really admirable from like the general public, but also from like nonprofits and stuff and just like creating their own platform of good, I think is just really inspiring. And like, if you're going to be a content creator, I feel like it should be for something that makes people feel good and is inspiring and inspires people to do good in the world, it should be something that you inherently want to use your platform for. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think everyone in the world has at least
0: one social cause that you are more passionate about than others. And I think when you create a platform that people listen to you and what you say Mm -hmm. is important, then you like have an opportunity to share that. So it's kind of a missed opportunity if you don't use it. Yeah. But I do, I do understand what you're saying. Cause it's like, it's not an obligation, but it's also this fine line of, I think people misconstrue it however they want to, too. Yeah. It's like, yeah. if you see that someone's doing good, then it's like, ah, uh, it's performative. And like, she's That's just, so true. it's yeah. like such a, it's, yeah. but it's also just, it's however the person wants to perceive it. Yeah. So it's 100%. like, you're sharing this because you just want people to yeah. like, think highly of you exactly think highly of you or bow down to you or like say that you're a good person Mm -hmm. but then there's also the people that are like no this is so kind of you like this this inspired me and motivated me to be involved so I think it is kind of a really weird fine line yeah just depending on who's viewing it and what they think yeah but I do think it's really important Uh, like if you have the opportunity why would you not unless you just I mean I just think it would be really weird if you didn't have any social cause that you're not passionate about. And yeah. I think like one thing that I really thought about as I started doing the nonprofits is like you do get an influx of a lot of people asking about like hey my sorority is doing this, can you donate here? My mm. you know, my mom has this or yeah. there's like there's so many people constantly messaging you and it's like it is really hard to decipher yeah. where do you put your energy? So what I've like decided in the past year is let me focus on like three of my main or two of my main social causes that I really really care about and if these things fall within these two social causes Mm -hmm. then like absolutely yeah and that then is like true to you as a creator and helping amplify the things that you care about the Mm -hmm. most while also like still giving back yeah because there is a point where you do you can feel like a billboard almost where people want to just use you to-
1: I can see that. Advertise, you
0: know, your own thing. And so I think just deciphering the things that you really care about, like it shouldn't be a question of whether you want to share it or not. You should just do it because you care about it. Yeah. So Yeah. Yeah. I I agree with with that. that. Yeah. With that outlook. Well, that leads us to the end of our episode just following up on (laughs) where people can find you and what we can look forward to for gray for glioblastoma in the upcoming year.
1: Yeah. So, um, I'm really excited this summer. I'm like dedicating most of my time to gray for glioblastoma. So I'm really excited to continue, you know, growing everything and, getting people more involved and hopefully like creating some more branches throughout the country. Austin events, hopefully New York. Um, cause those are just easy access points for me. We've recently launched like a whole new merch line and we're really active on our Instagram, which is great for glioblastoma active on TikTok now too. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, we're always hosting, like we do year round fundraising and we actually just launched a new thing that's, um, like reoccurring donations, which you can do for as low as like $5 a month. Mm-hmm. We are actually going to be hosting in May an online silent auction. Oh. So that should be pretty exciting. Um, we have a lot of good items and stuff because May is brain cancer awareness month. And so we have a few other really exciting things coming in May. Um, and there's always room for volunteers and help in literally Every single aspect <laughs> Every of aspect. life. <laughs> Looking for people to be involved in however way they want to be. And just wearing gray on Wednesdays is our big thing. Gotcha, girl. Gray for glioblastoma
0: on Wednesdays. I will include all of the um, information to find Kate, to find her website and everything in the episode description. And to follow along with everything she's doing. And if you live in Austin, keep an eye out. We are doing a back to school, like little community kind of market i would say mm-hmm. in the fall so if you're a ut student or you live in austin we're working on that we were gonna do it in the spring but uh, like you said there's so many things so going, going on, on and we I wanted to be like huge so yeah. it's going to be keep an eye out for that we'll share more Mark details your in the
1: sometime in the fall
0: <laughs> sometime in the fall back to school season well thank you so much Kate for being on the podcast thank you so much for always, having me always a pleasure to t- sit and chat with you and again thank you so much for being vulnerable and sharing so much of your personal life with thousands of people to listen to of course <laughs> all right you guys I'll talk to the rest of you next Tuesday bye